Welcome to the Muck Podcast, Episode 2. I'm Tina. And I'm Hillary. And here we go. Hillary, how are you doing this week? I'm doing good. It's Sunday. No makeup day. That's what I call it. Oh, that's a nice day. Yeah, so everybody at church gets to see monsters coming in the door. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Um, it's a good day, right? It's a good day. Um, My day was good. My week was good. Uh, I did have a weird experience yesterday cleaning my house. Oh, no. Um, I've been baking cookies, and I was finishing up a batch of cookies, and I couldn't find my spatula. And just, I have others, but there's one that I just like more than others and whatever I I moved on to something else and then when I was in my son's room (laughs) I noticed in the corner at the back of his dresser uh butted up against the wall was the spatula from days earlier still covered with batter batter (gasps) all over the wall just sitting there just sitting there it's disgusting why do boys hide things like this? I, I don't know. I'm like, do you want to lick the batter? Yes. It's don't lick it. It's the raw flour. Don't lick it. It's it's eggs. But sure, have a lick. I licked it. We all survived. He takes it, and he puts it in his bedroom. Like every other child would, so when they want to stick their hands in the bowl. Yeah, I have found. <laughs> I, I I can't even get into the things I found in my son's bed. But he was three when I found under like the footstool in the bathroom oh, um he had took halloween candy behind my back and scissors <laughs> three years old and cut it open and le- like left the wrappers left the scissors i'm like who did this and he's like i don't know i'm like you're three you shouldn't be this shouldn't be so easy to lie about oh, they about learn they learn doing. early they learn early oh, it's very upsetting all right Are you ready for today's story? I am. First, I want to say, so last week's episode, um, I said Dan Dan Danzinger, but it's Doug Danzinger, and I was, like, mispronouncing his name all over the place. And also, because I was, like, I was editing it, I say honey, honey, honey. Like, RuPaul has, like, taken over my body. (laughs) And I, like, to be clear, I'm a huge RuPaul, like, drag race fan. I love RuPaul. But... I don't know why I was like, honey, honey. And, I, and even listening to it, how do I sound like, why no, am I, I talking like no, this? you hear it more just because you're aware of it. Yeah. So I'm going, I'm like, now I'm trying to, uh, I'm going to be editing going, no. honey, you know, girl, like, who is, who talks like this? It's a crazy <laughs> person. So yeah, sorry about that. I'm sorry about that. But yes, I'm sorry. I'm ready. You are first this week and I'm so excited to hear your story. Let's do it. All right. Well, today... I'm going to tell you the story of Pennsylvania treasurer Ooh. Bud Dwyer. Are you familiar with him at all? It sounds a little familiar. Okay. But all right. Let's so go. Um, I want to just give a little warning that this story does have some content that listeners may find disturbing or triggering. So if that's the case, you can jump on ahead to Hillary's story. Um, but otherwise, here we go. So Bud Dwyer was a treasurer for the state of Pennsylvania from 1981 until 1987. And prior to that, he served as a state senator for 10 years from 1971 to 1981. And prior to that, he did serve some time working as an educator. So he had a life of public service. Um, And in his role as treasurer, he was known as a really precise guy. Um, And he was, you know, had some ingenuity. He revamped the way they... uh, did their record keeping and things like that. And, and everybody seemed yeah, to he's like good him. At his job. Yes, Bud. Yeah, yeah. Everybody's Bud. Bud Dwyer. Bud he sounds Dwyer. like the guy you'd find down at the local bar sitting next to you on yes. the bar stool. <laughs> so, but unfortunately, Mm-mm. Bud 
kind of muck things up. Oh, shoot. <laughs> so this is another example of, you know, people in positions of power and things going awry. Right. So our story takes place in Harrisburg, which is the state capital of Pennsylvania. Dwyer originally, though, is from like a smaller kind of town area. It's a place called Meadville, which was in uh, Crawford County. And that's about an hour and a half north of Pittsburgh. So um, people across the state, though, were familiar with him because of his role as senator um, prior to their role as treasurer. And just to give you some, the, the, I guess, the, the leading issue that, that moves us into what happened with Bud Dwyer is... In 1986, he finds himself convicted hmm. of bribery. Uh-oh. Right? So a treasurer uh, messing around with the money. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Yeah. So supposedly he took a kickback from a company called CTA. And CTA was a California Technology Associates. And um, earlier... Uh, public employees of the state of Pennsylvania, primarily educators, had paid millions of dollars extra in FICA. Oh, and boy. so this is a mess, right? The state stays like, we, we got to clean this up. And they need to look for a company that's going to untangle it and, you know, get it done and get it done quickly and, and uh, in the right way. So um, they start looking for a firm to recover the FICA funds appropriately. So even though CTA is a California company, this guy that runs the company, the owner, is a guy called John uh, Torquato. I think I'm pronouncing that <laughs> correctly. And he was from Harrisburg originally. So Dwyer promises CTA that they would get the $4.6 million contract. Whoa. Using the power of his office, right? He influences the bidding process. So there's all these, you know, they got to put it out, public bid. I think it was like 10 companies had, had put in um, for the bid, but he leans it towards CTA's way. Not good. For a $300,000 campaign uh, funds, basically, for wow. kickback, for payout. Oh, wow. And I did the calculation because I, I do like to always know, like, well, well, that was back in the day. Like, even yesterday, I was watching a Willy Wonka, the original, <laughs> with my kid. Wait a minute. The original. The only the, Willy Wonka. Yes, Please do not one. get me. Don't get me started. I know. I love <laughs> Uh, uh, you know Johnny Depp movies, but that it was not no, good. It's blasphemy. I mean, and Gene Wilder in that role. Uh, it's it, who would even think of doing something? So like this? Veruca Salt's dad, <laughs> um, Veruca Salt's father, um, he uh, says to his daughter that he's already bought seven hundred and sixty thousand Wonka bars, and so then I was like, well, let me calculate. And my son and I calculated uh, what that would be in today's money. And um, it was a lot in U.S. And then I was like, I got to convert it to pounds. And then forget <laughs> it. I lost it. But anyway, for this guy, um, that uh, $300,000 um, is basically like $740,000 in today's money. Almost wow. three quarters of a million oh my dollars. Gosh. That's a lot of money. Yeah. But before anyone can get their hands on this cash... Uh, this governor at the time, Dick uh, Thornburg, gets an anonymous memo. And so, like, the, la the story did last time there was an anonymous letter. I'm like, who who's sending all these <laughs> anonymous letters? You know, is it is it a Dudley Do-Right who's like, I'm going to do the right thing and send this out? Or is it someone that's like, hey, I wanted part of this deal, mm. and now I'm pissed off, and right. I'm going to send a letter out? I'm cynical, and I feel like it's probably someone who was like, I didn't get a cut <laughs> of that money, and now he's going to blow it up for everybody else. But 
Some Dwyer supporters actually say that they think that uh, Dwyer was innocent of all this and that the governor, Thurnberg, um, had it out for Dwyer and kind of caused this whole scandal because Dwyer supposedly publicly um, called out his wife. Um, the governor would take business trips and have to fly, mm-hmm. and then he would put in the receipts, like for the tickets, for hotel, and right. et cetera. And he would put in, his wife would travel with him, and he mm-hmm. would request, my wife's plane ticket be covered. No. And Dwyer's like, no. I'm not doing it. Of course not. Maybe Dwyer on the DL could have been like, hey, I'm not doing this, but to and make an, a public announcement. Oh, my God, yeah. Okay. They start this big fight right. with one another. Of and course. so there's all of this tension. So some people say that really uh, Thorn- Thornburg must be involved, but there's really, there's no proof that, that he had anything to do with it other than getting some letter that indicated that Dwyer had this thing going on. Um, so and the other thing is that allegedly when they went to CTA's office, they found a tape and on that tape, it talked about the kickback to Dwyer. Oh, and wow. then there were these individual witnesses that came forth in trial that all testified that Dwyer was involved. So there was a lot of evidence suggesting that he, he did partake in this, uh, bribe even though he didn't take the money he did you know it's like someone saying i'm going to pay you to off somebody you may the money may not have exchanged hands but you still have someone on tape saying hey i'm gonna right. do this so there and was if his evidence. name's coming up all over the place how is he not involved right and he says he's not involved he proclaims innocence right. of course the whole time right so dwyer tries to get these charges dropped uh, the u.s attorney uh, at the time west is going full force against him and um he, he's like, look, I will make some deal, but I want the charges dropped. And West is like, no. But West comes back and says, five years in prison. Mm. You know, you're stripped of your office. Like, let's make this deal. Dwyer does not want to Whoa. make the deal. And he rolls the dice. He's wow. like, I'm going to okay. do it. See, this, when this kind of thing happens, I think... Take the deal. Yeah, I think that maybe they are innocent when this kind of thing happens. There's lots of... I've been listening to way too many Dateline podcasts, which is yeah. basically the audio from the Dateline show. Yes. And it's it makes me... Ins- like, I'm scared all the time anyway, but I'm like just not <laughs> terrified of everything. And the ones that always proclaim their innocence, even though you're hearing all this evidence, you're like, how is this possible? And they're still saying they're innocent and they're found guilty and they're in prison and they're right. trying to appeal. And they're still saying they're, they're innocent. Saying- There's something to that to me. Well, I don't I mean, know. But what's the Unless saying? it's like, psycho. Like, Unless I mean, you're psycho and you're saying, like, there's just no way I'm going to admit it. You're not going to get me on that. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean there's the Mac- Lady Macbeth, right? Uh, doth right. protest too much. Yes, yes. And then... Uh, the prisons are full of innocent men, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, you know? Um, yeah. But um, he rolls the dice on this trial, and he loses. And the of judge course. the judge, is like, you know, you have this conviction, and now he faces up to 55 years. Oh, wow. And he's at the time, I think he's 46, 47 years old. Like, that's his whole, he's, he's got a wife, two kids. You know, five years, he would have come out, still had time with his family, his political career, of course, would be over. He'd have to, you know, um, have to figure something else out. I believe he was an attorney in the interim between uh, being an educator uh, prior to senator. So that he, you know, there's a lot of slimy lawyers out there. Like he probably could have still done some work that right. way unless he was disbarred. Who knows? But 55 years in prison and a possible 65000 to $305,000 in fines. Wow. So, but, wait, but what about the other guy? What about the guy who was negotiating the deal with CTA and was pushing for them to... The, the owner? So the owner, um, I think, took a deal. Okay. Because uh, he another... was clearly involved in... Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yes, yes. 
So Dwyer's in this bad situation, right? He's convicted of the crime. He's facing a long prison sentence. And he refuses to admit guilt or yield his position as treasurer. He's like, I'm not resigning. Oh, my gosh. Yes. This guy. The balls. Yes, the balls. Yes. <laughs> so he even write, he writes to President Reagan. He wants a presidential pardon. He writes to Arlen Specter, mm. who was a senator of Pennsylvania at the time. He writes to Grandpa Joe, little Joe Biden. <laughs> And nothing, like yeah. nothing happens. And um, then he decides on January 22nd, 1987, oh, God. to hold a press conference. Does this familiar at all? No. Okay. But so, I, I fear, I fear what's going, what's so, coming. Yeah. So he decides to hold a press conference. He, he tells, you know, he rings up all the people and all the reporters are like, finally, right? Yes. He's going to admit um, something. Right, Here we the, go. Mia culpa. Yeah. Right, confession, resignation, the typical, like, here's the moment. Right. Um, he's finally going to own up. But things don't go as expected. Oh, my stomach is dropping. I, I can know. feel it. I can feel so it. So our show, right, we cover strange, yes. kind of dark, and here we are. Like, the things things kind of take this, this, uh, this turn. And to give you a little bit of a clue, the night before the press conference, he, there's a note and in this note, he says, I enjoy being with Joe, his wife, Joanne, so much. The next 20 years or so would have been wonderful. Tomorrow is going to be so difficult, and I hope I can go through with it. Oh, for Pete's sake. So now here's the Dwyer story. So at the press conference, he reads this long-winded uh, statement, professing his innocence, throwing blame on the former governor, uh, Thornburg, the FBI, mm. everyone he felt persecuted him. He's like, he goes on and it's pages long. And so people are there, you know, listening to him. And they're like, it was just a sad case. Like there he is just uh, kind of rambling on about his innocence. And they're expecting like. Still, yeah, he's still the, going. They're like, still wait, going yeah, on. this is not what we yeah, thought they, it was yeah, going to so be. We've we already came, heard all this. Yeah, we came here for the resignation, <clears throat> moving on. Right, so, right. um then he starts to dole out envelopes. He starts mm. handing out. And um, I don't know why, but did you ever see the movie Clue? Yes. Right? When he's like, I've seen the movie. I can recite lines yeah. from that yeah. movie. And you got a letter. Yeah, and you yeah. got a letter. <laughs> and you got a letter. And out these envelopes. And um, one is to the newly elected governor, Robert Casey, who would beat uh, Thornburg in uh, that year, that no prior mm -hmm. November's election. Um, one of them contained an organ donor card. And another one had a letter that was to uh, his family. And um, then he takes out a manila envelope that held a 357 Magnum. Holy shit. And that's when everybody freaks out. Yeah. And so Bud Dwyer, in front of all these journalists, shoots himself. Oh, fuck. And the cameras are rolling. And it's a room full of journalists. Everybody's snapping pictures. And... Um, it was. I, I watched a documentary, and and I'll I'll get to the documentary later. And I, it was really difficult to even and mm -hmm. look at these photos and mm -hmm. and hear about this. And when when he takes this gun out, everybody's like, "No, don't do it, don't do it." And they're putting. He's like, "Someone's going to get hurt." And there's a really famous photo of him holding his hand up, like to say, "Like, stay back." Mm. And then he just does this thing in front of everyone, and it's it's awful. So. Even though, you know, I watched the footage, there was no indication. Like, he reads the letter. He's like, eh, by the way, here's this letter to my wife. Like, and then he just takes this gun out, and it just, I, I don't know. Well, um, you know, here's the thing. I, I got goosebumps because here's I the know. thing. Like, uh, when someone decides to do this, if there's a calm, I believe, that 
that they are overcome by this very calmness because this is a decision they've decided to make. And I, I feel like it's very selfish uh, thing to do, except when you are in this position, when the, what you have just described led that led up to this, this, this right. moment, uh, you it's know, like, whether he's guilty or not, there's nowhere he feels left to turn and right, the back against the wall. He's, kind he's, of thing. he's in a place where he, you know, and so it's a very sad situation. And, uh, it reminds me very much of the, there was a reporter in Tampa who took her life on the, on, on air oh. the same way. And, you know, it's shocking. It's a very it's sh- shocking thing shocking. to do. And, and especially what is what is the most unusual thing, because usually when someone does this, they're alone, is the public, the public display. What What is yes. that? A, a, to get back at people? To say, look at so, what you finally made me do? What yes. is that? So that was the thing. And that, that is, that's the question. Why in the world would he do this? And at the state capitol, right? Mm. Um, so here's the deal. While Dwyer was convicted, right, he wasn't sentenced yet. And Mm. so, you know, earlier I said, you know, he was known for his precision and, um, you know, he seemed to be a a smart guy, right? And so he wasn't sentenced. He was scheduled to be sentenced the next day. Okay. Right? So this is a meticulous plan that he's thought out, that this is the day before that sentencing. So some believe that he did this to help his family. So through that trial, he racked up a ton of bills. Mm. He claimed that he couldn't afford to appeal the verdict. Um, and because he was still a state employee, and even though state law prohibits pension to public employees convicted of crimes, the law is only in effect after mm. sentencing. Yes. Okay. Right? So, I mean, I mean, he went up to the end. He knew. Yes. He knew. Yes, right? He yes, went yes, up yes. as far as he could to the end. You know, he'd written letters to people. He had... You know, um, so it wasn't like he did this the day after that he was convicted, right? Like this is the day before the sentencing, the, the scheduled sentencing. So his wife, Joanne, could collect the survivor benefits right. from the pension. And that pension was an estimated $1.28 million Holy back then, cow. which is about $3 million today, which would take care of his wife and his kids. Um, I think his son was early 20s i think his daughter was uh, still in high school oh jesus yeah it's te- i mean it's a terrible and tragedy to pay those the legal fees and everything yeah, else that they and, have to pay now right and then leave all that so um and not, i did read an article though that quoted a uh social psychologist uh, a doctor named arthur patterson who noted that perhaps he did this um as a way to get back at those who he believed hurt him right so there might be some truth there right he could have done it privately like you said but he chose to do it publicly. He chose to call a bunch of people out. He lambasted the system, right? right? You can't trust the system, yeah. man. <laughs> can't do it. So no, you can't. And and you know he he it's it is it is a very unusual mindset to be in. And you're right. He had all of those things lined up to do exactly what he wanted to do, so that they could get that money and then also get back to the people. And I do believe that what that psychologist is saying, it's yeah. definitely a show of like, look at what right. you've done. Because to he me could have still person. done this, yes. um, privately, right? right? So, um, you know, but like I said, the journalists that were present that day, they said it was this this ran- random sort of not random, but a rambling display. Um, and, and some of them were even packing it in. They're like, God, he's going on so much, oh. and then that unexpected thing happened. So on the last page of, so he read the statement, and on the last page of that statement, Dwyer writes, last May, 
I told you that after this trial, I would give you the story of the decade. To those of you who are shallow, the events of this morning will be that story. But to those of you with depth and concern, the real story will be what I hope and pray results from this morning, the development of a true justice system in the United States. Wow. So then here we are, though, right? Being shallow. What is the thing that he's remembered for? Like when you look him up, that's it. You know, like that is the thing. Um that, that you remember him by, despite all the other things he may have done in those right. other roles. Um, and aside from friends uh, of his, no one has really probed much deeper into his innocence. However, there was this documentary that I saw. Um, it came out a few years ago from uh, 84 Films, and it was called Honest Man, The Life of R. Bud Dwyer. And it's all about the case. And it's just, you know, standard documentary, like Humble Beginnings, traces his story, um, up until, you know, uh, the trial and one of the witnesses, this guy Smith, who was, his testimony was sort of paramount in the trial that led to his guilt, came out and said, you know, I I committed perjury and yeah, so there is that. But then, um, I looked into that and there are other articles to say like that this guy Smith is known kind of for kind of going back and forth in his words. So is there any, any credibility there? Does he maybe just feel horrible that, because of all of their involvement that this guy it led to this guy's death and now he maybe is feeling remorseful right of course um so but you guys can check it out i have the link to that documentary and you can check it out um in the episode notes and um the other thing that people talked about that i thought was interesting surrounding this case was a lot of people were like he never even had a speeding ticket um he never you know he was so on the up and up that they there was nothing ever on his record and i feel like that's a little bit faulty like people speed all the time even though they don't get caught with a speeding ticket right so just because you don't have the documentation that proves that you've sped it doesn't mean that you never did it before and it doesn't necessarily mean that you were not going to take a bribe so um well here here's the thing though too is that bothers me about it is that when this person now that he's gone all we have is speculation And, and even though he did talk about you know pled his innocence the entire time you know it's it's something now that we have to dig into and figure out and we really can't figure it out and so we're just like have to make guesses of what we thought was real and what was not right and going back to the trial you know and the evidence there um they found that you know when with that contract that he was the only one handling the paperwork for CTA I mean come on right? come on and that there was another local company that was willing to do it for half the cost so there you know those are things that it might be circumstantial but it it kind of points the finger a little bit more towards Dwyer so for me like the story was appealing not just because you know this it was just so shocking that the that, that this state official did this and um in such a public way and there was sort of the urban uh, legend is that it happened on live television but it didn't there were cameras rolling and there was a room full of journalists but it wasn't live so did so did they ever air any of that this is the thing that i found interesting is that um they uh it, it opened up all this conversation on journalism and how far is is too far because a ton of news stations that afternoon rolled the footage i mean one 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 station in particular even zoomed in on a close-up on the guy after wow he, which i don't and, think they would do that now come on 
I, don't, so? I, don't th- I think you could see it online. I don't think they would put it on, on television. On live? I don't I, know. I don't think so. I don't know. Um, hopefully not. I mean, I feel like, you know, despite what this guy did, like, I, you know, and, and so there was a snowstorm that day. So there were all these kids home in, in some parts of Pennsylvania. Oh, for, and it kidding. was one of those breaking news oh, stories. Oh, my God. And then parents are outraged because it of was course. shown on TV. Of course. And then there were other stations like uh, KDKA out of Pittsburgh that refused to show the footage. And... Um, and I get it. Like, if it's live, you know, like uh, Jack Ruby uh, right. killing Oswald exactly. live. Like, yes, that's this yes, moment yes. in history. The Challenger. Like, there are things right. that, just, that happen that, that we witness that, you know, but there's, an, you know, if that didn't happen live, would it have been aired? Like, is it necessarily for the people to have the image of that event? Um, I don't think it's necessary. Right. And, and I, have, some, I have a hard time letting my kids watch TV, the news now. Right. I, I, I remember I've turned it on a few times, local news, and I go, oh, nope, because yeah, it's, it's too much. It's, it's, it's too dark. much. Yeah. yeah. And some news stations said, okay, we they pushed it up to the moment of, mm. you know, which to me, when I first saw the photo of of him with the gun and, and, and you know, he, put, he puts the gun in his mouth, I, I couldn't even, it that to me was so incredibly jarring and uncomfortable, let alone like to actually watch, I, I couldn't really... Uh, watch that footage. And we're talking about people who can describe it. You're in a room full of reporters. They can accurately describe this to you without you having to know exactly what happened. Like to see it for yourself. Yes. So that was the thing um, that it became a conversation of how far is too far and what is the role of a journalist in that story. And, you know, it's, this guy still has family. He still has friends that this is cutting in. I I just feel like that's, to me, it's not appropriate to um, put, loved ones of this despite what he did he was still a person that had family and friends who loved him absolutely they shouldn't have to really witness that um the other thing that i thought was interesting too that that was that stemmed out of this was um the associated press goes color so prior to that moment because color film was expensive Mm. journalists would only have color film in their camera if they were going to something that was going to be a front page worthy story right so they all showed up at this event with their black and white because black and white was for the inside pages and they're like this guy's resigning this isn't front page news um so no one had color photos of that day and from then on no one left without color film because you never know what's going to be a front page story wow so it changed the way like they even approached taking their photography which i thought was interesting um another interesting thing i never realized that um in the 90s, do you remember that band, Filter? Yes! They had that one, the one-hit wonder, Hey Man, Nice Shot. Yes! It's about Bud's oh Wire. Oh, my gosh. Oh. And so, like, I went back oh, and no. looked at the lyrics, because I always thought it was about Kurt Cobain. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what I thought, because right. it was like, I never, I thought I knew you, or whatever the lyrics yeah. were. And so, I don't know why I thought, maybe because when that song was out, it was probably around the time that that happened with Cobain. And that's Were just, they from Pennsylvania? Filter? Um, I read something where... Uh, so there was there's a whole interesting article, a separate article that was about um, the, the trail of how this ended up to filter. And like <laughs> Marilyn Manson is like, oh, it's because I mentioned like <laughs> I think Marilyn Manson had some artwork and then this band had something else. Like, for whatever reason that when those bands maybe were growing up, that that was something that they maybe saw or caught wind of that stuck with them because, again, it's like such a gruesome thing. And so there was some kind of art, not argument, but... I guess, a debate on um, who 
influence too in terms of like right. why the song was created but it's about uh wow Bud Dwyer like who knew and then the other final little thing that I found <laughs> interesting and I'm sorry um was that Dwyer um requested that his wife succeed him in the position like that was one of his requests mm. and there's this idea of widow succession and I was familiar with that, like from like old timey days of um, they would use women as a placeholder because Whoa. you know, <laughs> God forbid she actually holds the office, but a placeholder. I mean, Tina, who's I going know. to have the children? I who's know. going to cook dinner? So yeah, so they would be used as a placeholder until they could get someone else in that seat, but it still happens today. Yes, um, and there's even a lady, a Jean uh, Carnahan in Missouri who in 2001, her husband was running for a Senate seat. And he, uh, in October, the, a few weeks before the election, he and his son die in a plane crash. His son was actually piloting the plane and, and this accident happened. And they, they didn't have time to remove his name from the ballot at that point. You know, ballots are already these are, I love these. I love them. There's a dead man so, on the ballot. Yeah, so yeah. there he is. And the governor at the time, um, Governor Wilson, says, look, if your husband wins this election, I'll give you the seat. And he won. So oh she ends gosh. up as a junior senator. Um, and then uh, until they could hold a special election, and right. then she did lose in the special election. But just the, the idea that, well, we're just going to throw anybody yeah. in there. I mean, this is, it's a, it's a, it's a There's sometimes, seat. there is a wife running now, and I please forgive me, but there is a senator who, a congressman who died recently, and his wife is is running for a seat. But I think they're from Maryland. This is so awful because he's a fantastic congressman. And I feel awful even saying this. Like, I don't remember his name at this moment. But his wife is running. But she was the head of the Democratic Party in that state. Like, she's someone who yeah. can run for Like, she has the credentials. She's got the backup well, to do it. Well, and she's still running. So I yes. did see, like, with yes. that, that widow succession that a lot of people will run for the special election. And, you know, the name of the spouse is the thing that, it, it, you know. Um, the, the name is everything. Is, is everything. The name is everything. You know, but the fact that you're just simply appointed. No, it's ridiculous. You know, it's it's just it was interesting to me. So I was like, oh, okay, oh, that's the I love story. it. It's a, it's uh, terribly sad and it's, it it's awful. But uh, I mean, who knows what's going through people's minds? You never know. Yeah. It's amazing. And and like I said, the other thing, like all the things that stemmed out of it from uh, you know the world of journalism and otherwise, right. that I thought was interesting because of this particular moment. Yeah. So, all right, that's okay. Bud Dwyer. Okay, so here's my story. You ready? I and know. it's insane that you had a shooting at the capitol because mine is about a shooting at the capitol are you serious <laughs> I swear to God, it's so insane to me that so were you like wait a minute is she gonna tell my no, story no but you okay. said like the reporter in the capitol i was like oh shit like this is like <laughs> so mine is okay so i started i thought it would be <laughs> i started looking up stories about ghosts in the white house oh which i still might do because i thought it was it was fun but it was also uh like, one of them was, like, um, you know, a ton of people have seen Abraham Lincoln. Oh, really? In the White House. His ghost. Oh. And he wasn't killed there. Like, I don't know what the frick his ghost is doing yeah. there. Well, maybe he just, you know, yeah. like the place. Well, they say he come. you see him more off. Uh, you see him when the country's in turmoil. Oh. <laughs> I was like, oh, he must I be know. there all I'm the like, fucking uh, time now, right? Poor Abe Lincoln can't get a break. <laughs> so, it's, been, it's been years now. He probably sits in the corner just confused. Like, what's going on? <laughs> So this story is called The Bloody Staircase in the oh, Capitol, oh. The Murder of William Tolby. Oh, I don't. I have no idea what this okay. is. 
So this story takes place in 1887. Oh, honey, it's an old. Oh, oh my God! I just said, no, honey, it's fine. That's I love <laughs> it. Just do it. Just do it. Be you. Okay. Be you. So we have two main characters: William Preston Tolby and Charles Kincaid. So William Tolby, he's a congressman. He's 36 years old, and he's from Kentucky. Um, he's from a wealthy family. His father is a state senator. And um, he's married, he has five children, he's an attorney and like an ordained Methodist minister. So, you know, he's very well to do. And um, he was first elected to Congress in 1884. And he's very well respected in the House of Representatives. And um, they often refer to him as, quote, the mountain orator. Because he's very tall and lean, like muscular. (laughs) And, uh, And he's able to sway the crowd oh. right and so i'm gonna show you a picture of him kind oh. of handsome right look at, well I, can't, mean, I can't really figure out who he looks like um i know he, he's like hey what what's going on yeah it's the a hands. weird like yeah. here's my pocket watch nonsense but yeah. we'll put this on our instagram so that's william tolby and um our other photos me too it's like all scratched up um, okay, so the other character is Charles Kincaid. So Charles Kincaid, he's also from Kentucky. He's 32 years old. He also was a lawyer at one point. I really love his background. So he was a lawyer, and then he was elected as a municipal judge, um, but he still edited a weekly newspaper. So you could tell that writing was like yeah, what thing. he loved, you know? Yeah. So he ended up moving to D.C. in 1885 um, to be a, the private secretary for a senator, John Williams. And he loved being in D.C. He liked writing. So he became um, a correspondent for several newspapers, including the Louisville Times. Nice. I'm going to show you his picture. Now, this is (laughs) this is the only picture I could find. It looks like it's a drawing. Oh, but to me, he looks like Mr. Peanut. (laughs) (laughs) He looks like Mr. Peanut. Oh, my God. He got those glasses. The topper on. The top hat. Okay. And he looks pretty healthy here. But in reality, he was really sick. He, oh. They described him as... Oh, my God. I love this drawing. I know. I know. It's so great. Okay. So they described him as being short. He was barely five feet tall. And he was in terrible health. He weighed barely less... Barely five feet? Yes. This picture... Well, I that's mean, probably why that's where the top hat comes in handy. Yeah, it makes him well. look taller. <laughs> So, and he weighed less than 100 pounds. Like, oh he was just really God. sick. He was born with an eye defect that narrowed his vision, and he had a tumor growing on one of his eyelids. Oh I my mean, goodness. he was something to behold for sure. And um, he also had really terrible liver and digestive problems um, that the doctor said were from stress. I don't know. Right. All so, right. here's where our story begins it begins in 1887. So, Charles Kincaid, um, one of his sources, uh, at the U.S. Patent Office tells him that there's this model room uh, in the Patent Office. Okay. And during lunchtime, a lot of congressmen would come there and meet young ladies uh, and ha- fool around, right? And um, so... In the Patent Office. Because like, it's like, no, who's <laughs> yeah. going to the Patent yeah, Office? Yeah, nobody, right? No and there's, there, and yeah. apparently when they described the, what the room looked like, there's little places you could turn and hide and whatever. Oh, so Canoodling in the Yes, yes. And so... He wrote this blind item about um, a silver-tongued, quote, silver-tongued congressman from Kentucky and how he met this 19-year-old blonde Ooh. young woman there. And, so um, he rots them out? Yes. In, an, like a, in an 
well, an, this is an what anonymous editorial yeah kind of so thing? here's i have the articles here which we'll put up on our instagram and everything but he wrote the man was a congressman from kentucky who obtained the position for the girl last february so he actually got her hired at the patent office and then it says the young woman is not yet is not yet 20 years of age and lives on capitol hill where the congressman also resides so wow this is basically what he writes but so he set her up in a nice little seat yes but but charles kincaid when he wrote this he didn't name names but other but other uh you know article other writers like the press made assumptions and then started digging around and named if he's saying he's given some clues here yes he is that's for sure i mean but he didn't really a congressman from kentucky yes who recently hired a girl in the patent office right it's it's so it's yeah. as far as it's gonna you know yeah so um other other newspapers weren't as kind <laughs> they really wrote these long long articles and one of them says he would come upstairs to the patent room a few minutes before the lunch hour and then a few minutes later the little daisy would trip up to him <laughs> <laughs> by another stairway and they would hold sweet communion for half an hour oh yeah sweet and then communion. yeah and then it says the girl who figures in the case is miss dodge and she's she's also from kentucky so you know in my mind i'm imagining that he knows her from kentucky and brought her to dc when he went to dc you know yeah, or i don't Maybe they they met and oh you're from Kentucky I'm from Kentucky and they yes something 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 brought them together yes so this article comes out and you know the world that that William Talby knows is is over right his wife of seventeen years leaves him because because um, Kincaid writes for the Louisville Times which is Kentucky newspaper oh, I mean it goes it goes everywhere it becomes a big scandal the probably, president yeah she's probably mentions mortified it. it's completely embarrassing so the wife of seventeen years leaves him and. He doesn't seek re-election as a House member, which is a shock because nowadays they'll run re-election. No, <laughs> it doesn't matter what happens. They're yeah. running again. doesn't matter what you do these days. Right. So Talby ended up staying in D.C. and um, the congressman, the, the former congressman, and uh, just practices law and he becomes a lobbyist. So here's where it gets kind of horrible is that is – that, um, they both would go to the Capitol. So Kincaid, Charles Kincaid is still a reporter, right? Oh, yeah. And he's at the Capitol all the time. And he, you know, all the reporters know who he is and all the Congress people know who he is. And so... He's lobbying, so he's there all the time. So, so, so Tolby, yeah, other. Tolby's the yeah. lobbyist. They're, they're running into each other all the time. And so it became very uncomfortable because Tolby blamed Kincaid for his life falling apart. Because he's probably like, you're the catalyst. Yes, you, wrote you the first did this one. to me. You, yeah, you didn't name my name, but now yeah. everyone knew. Yes. You know, he, you know, we're not going to take responsibility for our own bad behavior. Yeah. I'm going to blame the person who wrote this thing about me, right? Right. So he, um, anytime he would see him in the hallways, he would just completely torment this guy. So we're talking about this very tall, strong man. Bullying oh, physically. So yeah, bullying physically. Oh, this The smaller guy. Um, some examples of the things that, that he would do is one time he tossed Kincaid across a hallway. My God. We're talking about the middle of the Capitol. Like, <laughs> hundreds of witnesses, right? He just picks him, and it, picks him up mean... and throws him. He um, held him against an iron railing. My... He jammed um, Kincaid against the door of a streetcar. And one time when they were in an elevator full of people, William Tolby took the heel of his shoe and slammed it down on Charles Kincaid's foot. Like, and the guy's screaming out in pain and he won't God. lift his foot off, off his foot off his heel off of him, right? So 
it wasn't just physical. Of course, it was verbal too. He would say things. I'm like, I ought to cut your throat. Oh you know, and this is not the time where you're threatening people like Wait, this. So we don't threaten people yeah. because duels. Like we're still doing things like yeah, that. You yeah, just don't, yeah. you know. So this is a lobbyist mm-hmm. who is getting in physical altercations. Yes. And no congressperson or anyone is getting involved to to say nobody's saying anything. Y- y- listen, nothing. Let's stop. No. And and Kincaid is still reporting, or is he finding ways to not be at the Capitol, or is that his bread and butter, like he's got to go report? That's, yeah, that's his job. Yeah. So um, not only is he threatening him with violence and, and also physically assaulting him, he's also, Tolby's also telling other people, somebody ought to kill that guy, <gasps> right? And then the reporters and the other Congress people are going back to Kincaid saying, like, he's threatening your life when you're not around. And it was wow. terrifying. And, and this does is... Mean, how is this even... You well, know, legal. Uh, it probably, it, I mean, listen, yeah. it's a different time. You know what I mean? I mean, the 1800s, it was like every man for himself, yeah. I feel like. You know what I mean? But the other part there is like. still laws. <laughs> this, was, this was the sad, this is kind of a sad part to me is that Kincaid, anytime Tolby would be coming toward him, Kincaid would be like, put his, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Like, oh. would offer apologies and it just did not matter at all. It never mattered. Like, Tolby so, was just after him. But why, why did Kincaid feel the need to break this story? Listen, I mean, it's news. Like, you know, when you have sources and they're telling you things, it's it is news. Yeah. It, it doesn't, you know. Here's the thing, and, and it's true. I mean, the guy was wrong. He shouldn't have been right canoodling in the patent office, right? If he's so concerned about his job, right? And reporters have to do their job, you know. If, yeah. if and also, if you're not doing anything, you shouldn't be worried about it. Don't be worried that you're going to get caught if you're not doing anything wrong. But the reporter's right. going to report what what's what's news, and that unfortunately is always going to be news, always. Yes. So, so here we go. So. On February 28th, 1890, um, you know, we had this very emasculated man who is frightened to even go to the Capitol, right? And around and noon... He's un- and he's physically yeah, unwell. He's not able to yeah. defend himself. Yeah. So on February 28th, 1890, around noon that day, um, Talby once again approaches Kincaid in a corridor. And Kincaid says to him, quote, I have no time to talk with you. I don't want any trouble with you. And Talby began shouting at him, and he grabbed Kincaid by the shoulder, and he pulled his ear violently. And then in front of, this is all in front of several witnesses. And Kincaid said, then said, I am a small man and I am unarmed. Now, from what I understand, that when you yeah. say you're unarmed, you're saying like, peace. Yes. You know, like, yes. I can't do anything for you. You don't hurt me. I, you know, et cetera, I, I'm et cetera. Not, I'm not going to fight you. Exactly. I don't like, fight I've you. said to you very clearly, yeah. I don't want anything to do with this. And it just, it doesn't stop. So then Tolby replied to him, you'd better be armed or go and arm yourself. Oh. Right? So these real threats. This is like the, the glove slap on yeah, the face. Yeah, this is it. Exactly. Yeah. I'll meet you at high yes. noon. Right? <laughs> so, so, of course, it terrified Kincaid. And, um, and so he left, went, went home. But he had an appointment later on in the afternoon at the Capitol. So, I mean, um, could, could he, was there no one for Kincaid to turn to to say, help me with this guy? I mean, who... Well, you know, also, so when I say a man, uh, you know, I don't understand men, Tina. I know. I've tried very hard my entire life. I have a son. Yeah. I don't understand half why he does half the things that he does. I don't understand them. And I, I've come to the conclusion that I never will. Yeah. I just go, okay. And something <laughs> like, that sounds fine. But I'd imagine that him being small and sick and he already feels less than right. everybody else around him. Um, and his power does come from writing. Maybe that's where why yeah. he wrote the stories. He feels that's a powerful. It's a part of right. what he can do. Um, 
didn't report it, which a lot of kids, even or not kids, kids today don't report bullying because it's yeah. it's embarrassing, you know? And of course, if it's happening in front of people, why aren't they stopping it? Why aren't they stepping in? It's a very good right. question. And so, for this guy, I mean, what what big win are you getting to beat up and hurt someone who can't defend themselves? Right. You know, but, but people who are violent. Right. You know, they don't... And it makes him feel like more of a man, yeah. to be honest, right? The Tolby. So... Before he left his room to go, Kincaid left his room to go back to the Capitol for his meeting that afternoon. He grabbed his revolver. Oh. Because he was terrified. Yeah. So once again, um, he's at the Capitol. And as he's heading down these steps to the basement uh, restaurant at the Capitol, Tolby's at the bottom of the stairs with another man, Samuel Donaldson. And they're just standing there. But once Tolby saw Kincaid, he started to to go toward him oh, go up the steps toward him and Kincaid said you're gonna kill me stand back like he you know and then he drew his gun and Tolby kept marching toward him and said I'll show you Ugh. and then once Tolby was within arm's length away from Kincaid he shot him in the face <gasps> and Tolby fell back onto the steps and started bleeding profusely all oh, over these marble God. steps and um an officer ran up and said who did this and Kincaid said I did. You know, he said, I did it. And um, he was arrested. And so Tolby was rushed to his home first and then to a hospital. Okay. Nobody knew what they were doing there. So then, um, and then he he died on March 11th at 38 years old. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, the guy kept coming toward him. He said, stop. Yes. He warned him, please. No, no more. And Tolby said, listen, you better get yourself ready. We're talking about three years of torture, by the way. Three years. Come on. So, um... Kincaid is put on trial for murder, and he's defended by very prominent D.C. lawyers. Like, he can't go to jail. This is a clear self-defense. <laughs> and all the lawyers who defended him were people who had been in Congress during that time and, like, were There's, lawyers. I mean, and they witnessed all the stuff that witnesses. had happened. Yes. So, of course, they claimed self-defense. And um, the jury selection was really hard because uh, all the newspapers, <laughs> the people, write, the reporters were writing about Yes, this happened, but here's what we witnessed all these all this time. Oh, so and, now it's biased. Yeah, so and then everybody reading it, you know, the jury, people who they're trying to pick, they were trying to get people who hadn't heard the story or didn't read any of these stories in the paper. God, imagine that today. It, right. You It'd be, be everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So um, the prosecution claimed that it was a revenge shooting. And so during the trial, numerous witnesses testified to the bullying and torture that Kincaid endured at the hands of Tolby. Um, and then during the trial, eight previous and current members of Congress testified to, to Tolby, the witness they witnessed Tolby bullying Kincaid. And on April 8th, 1891, after only a few hours of deliberation, the jury returned a verdict of not guilty. Oh, thank God. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so a few days later, Kincaid returned to Kentucky with his sister and nephew. Uh, he, was later, he later served on the Kentucky Railroad Commission and was an American diplomat. And he he was always in poor health, and he died in 1906 at the age of 51. And at the time of his death, he was still best known as the man who shot Congressman Aww. William Talby. <laughs> so he's done all these other amazing things. Yes, I know. I know. But, you know, that's crazy. I know. So here, if you go to the Capitol today and you go to those steps, you can see the stain that is still no. on the marble steps because they weren't able to get all the blood up. It seeped. You know, oh, the stone the is, stone. is ab- absorbs it. So here on these steps, oh, you can see the stain here. From 1870s. Yes. Here's a closer view of this, the stain. That is wild. Isn't that crazy? And uh, so we'll put those pictures up on our Instagram. And then also, speaking of ghosts, 
they say the ghost of William Talby haunts that whole stairway. Oh, I got goosebumps. From I know. That. I know. So, so have um, have any of like the paranormal or any shows do you know <laughs> gone in there to see if the ghost of Tolby is present? <laughs> would that be fantastic? That, that would be. That's crazy. Maybe but he I mean, haunts, maybe he just haunts reporters. Maybe he's like <laughs> yeah. He's just reporters. like I hate like, all these building. reporters. Yeah. I mean. Three years of torture. I know. And then um, NPR was but a great... But what is someone supposed to do? I know. know. Exactly. He was, it was. It was self-defense. It was found that way, which is good. But on NPR, they did a... They covered the story uh, recently. They, they talked about it. Uh, especially when, you know, in current times, reporters and the news media is attacked in so many ways, right? And, yeah. and journalism is attacked. And so they talked about when politicians actually really attacked <laughs> reporters yeah. and they talked about the story and they went and talked to um one of the ancestors of william tolby and she was like like look in our family this was a tragedy like this was a father of five yeah. children and now his wife's wow. a widow and like you know it was, a, it was an awful thing that this happened in our family but yeah that's it that's the story that... of the murder of william oh, tolby my gosh. that is it that is a wild wild tale. is it weird that we picked Murder that, yeah, or no, shootings at a capital? Shootings at a yeah. capital, yeah. Oh, weird. Oh, my goodness. I know. So here we go. Episode two, done. Done. I can't believe two it. Two in the bag. It's what? amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> so um, we've been working really hard, and I hope that you're enjoying it. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Fireside FM, anywhere you listen to your podcast, you can find us. Yes, and please, please, please subscribe. We really... Um, need subscribers and really want to continue providing just awesome stories and content yes and when you you. subscribe you'll be alerted every time there's a new episode which we're going to put one out every wednesday so yeah when you subscribe it'll automatically let you know you can follow us on social media on instagram and facebook we're at the muck podcast on twitter it's just muck podcast you can send us your favorite political stories to the muck podcast at gmail.com and we're going to talk a little bit about patreon yes we have some fun tiers for you to hear about today. Yes. So uh, for $2 a month, you will get early access to our episodes. You'll get a, a, the Muck Podcast sticker where you can put on your car or put it on your water container. You know, people put that on there. Yes. Yeah. I have stickers all over my uh, planner. Yeah. So. You can put it on there and you'll get a handwritten thank you note from us. Well, from Tina. Tina's very good. <laughs> Tina will write. Tina's going to write the note. And then for $5 a month, you get all of that that I just mentioned. And then you get a personal mention in our Instagram and our Facebook stories. And then for $10 a month, you will get all of what I just mentioned and a personal thank you on a podcast that's coming out. And so, you know, we're just doing it for the children, Tina. Yeah, we're we doing are. it to educate the children. We are. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much for listening. Yes. And keep coming back. We're really having a great time, and we hope you're enjoying it, too. Yep. All right. See you next time. Bye.